0: When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. How did this happen? What did you do? I'm giving you the chance to change your life. change the world test in, test in. Testing, testing, testing. Praise God. Amen, amen. We're going to change the world, guys. We're going to change the world. Yeah. We are going to change the world. Yeah. Glory to God. Amen. Yeah. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Global Outreach Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And we want to thank God for you for being here in person. And to this of you watching us online, we welcome you as well. We thank God for you. And we are looking forward to receiving you in person so you can share the experience with us. Amen. Yeah. This is Palm Sunday. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, man, it's, it's just, it's unbelievable. Uh, just looking through the events uh, of the past couple of weeks and what happened in real time over 2,000 years ago is just mind-boggling. And so quickly, let me just go to Mark chapter 11 because of time. And as you know, our vision here at Go Church is to raise a Jesus community and to serve our world. That's what we're doing. That's what we're striving to do. And we thank God for the enablement to do so. Mark chapter 11, beginning from verse 1. Hallelujah. Mark 11, 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethage, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a cold tide on which no one has sat. Lose it and bring it. And if anyone asks, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. What an authority. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, see, we should just read scriptures. You should read it slowly and pondering. Jesus is sending people to go get somebody's donkey. Yeah. Number one, it's never been sat on. Brand new. Like they say in my village, tear rubber. <laughs> and then he says, If anyone questions why you are losing it, right. tell them the Lord has need of it. Right. And they will immediately release it. Do, do we understand the authority we have in Christ Jesus today? Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's read it on. Let's sit down. Verse 4. So they went their way and found the coal tied by the door outside on the street and they, and they lost it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing losing the cold? All they had to do is just repeat what Jesus said. No controversy, no argument, no debate. The Bible says, and they spoke to them just as Jesus commanded. I wish we as believers would understand the power of the word that God has given us. And for us, when things happen to us, to learn to say what Jesus said. Because that's, that's what brings results. Not my sentiment, not my opinion, but what he said. Yes, what he said, okay? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let him go. Then they brought the call to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And exactly a week later, the public sentiment changed. This day, over 2,000 years ago, we're entering that triumphant week that led to the ultimate arrest and crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. So the question is, how could the public opinion change just, just that, that quickly? How? In Matthew chapter 26, in verse 3, then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him, just barely a week later. Just barely a week later. Let's read one more passage. Next chapter, Matthew 27, verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people, plotted against Jesus to put him to death. So we went from one extreme, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, in one week, to where now the chiefs, the chief elders and the priests were plotting to kill him. So for this morning I want to examine who was responsible for Jesus' death. That's the title of this morning's message. Who was responsible for Jesus' death. So now, just to give us background and context, the Sanhedrin in Israel was the supreme council of Jews which controlled the civil and religious law. It had 71 members and was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. The head of the council was a high priest who at that time was called Caiphas. We just read that in Matthew chapter twenty-seven. So the council controlled the issues concerning the affairs of the Jewish people in Palestine. Now, although the Jewish leaders sometimes put people to death, we saw that in the scriptures. They stoned Stephen to death. We know they do that. We know they brought the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter eight to Jesus, and they wanted to stone her to death. So we know it was a practice that they had the authority based on religious laws to put people to death. However, in this case, in Jesus' case, they pawned Jesus' case to Pilate. Because they did not want to execute him personally themselves. In other words, they want somebody else to take the blame. They say want him die to die but they didn't want to carry out himself. Mm -hmm. And so if you follow the Matthew chapter 26, 27, and all of those passages, you will see how they tried him among the Sanhedrin for blasphemy, but they realized blasphemy will not fly with Pilate because Pilate was not concerned about the affairs of the Jews itself. So what did they do? They came up with a trump charge of treason when he got to Pilate because now treason is a big stuff for the Roman government. Mm. Amen? So now let's just dive quickly into this. Who? Who was responsible for Jesus' death? Now there are many people who played different roles leading up to his crucifixion. The first one, Judas is carried Now you must recognize Judas, Judas' background. He was not a Galilean. He came from, from the part of Israel where they believed in revolution. And so Judas was... Uh, was a revolution in, so to speak, looking at Jesus as the potential one who will lead a revolution against the Roman government. But now when Jesus began to teach about his pending death, he's going to die, and Judah said, wait a minute now, we're looking for a re- this, this this man is going to die, this, this will not be the one. He became despondent, discouraged, and the greed in him opened him up to take a bribe, and to betray Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus as a means to an end. And when that end was not forthcoming, he chose another path. I just wonder today, how many of us are Judas? How many of us have bought into the kingdom of God based on what we can get? Based on what Jesus can give? And if what we think he can give is not forthcoming soon enough, maybe we'll try something else. Next, Pilate, he was the one that sentenced Jesus to death even though he knew Jesus was innocent. He knew that the religious leaders were jealous of Jesus but wanted to prevent a riot. Let's just look at one scripture, Matthew 27, Matthew 27 verse 17. Look at Pilate, and we're going to get more into this next Sunday. Matthew 27, 17, Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? He goes on to say, verse 18, For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Verse 23, same chapter, verse 23. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But he cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Verse 24, When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. So he knew. He knew Jesus was totally, completely innocent of all the charges they brought against him, but he did not have the backbone to stand and to make the right call. Next, how about the disciples? Give me Matthew chapter 26 in verse 31 in the NLT, if you can find it. The disciples, hallelujah. Matthew 26, verse 31, NLT, thank you. On the way Jesus told them tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scripture says, God will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Give me verse 56. Same chapter, verse 56. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Car! My goodness, in his greatest hour of need, the ones he's been with for three years, teaching, preaching, eating, doing miracles, none of them had the guts to stand. Now, they were not directly involved in his death, but definitely they desired him. How about the crowd? In Luke 23 verse 13, Luke 23 verse 13, what was the crowd's role? Luke 23 verse 13. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the elders, and the rulers of the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I found no fault in this man concerning those things which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed, nothing deserving of death had been done by him. I would therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Wow. So we see Judas, we see the disciples, we see Pilate, we see the crowd. Now, let's look at the religious leaders. Religious leaders. In Israel, there were three groups of religious leaders. You have the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees, and then you have the scribes. All of them had a serious vested interest in Jesus dying. Because Jesus was a humongous threat to each one of those groups. So let's take it a little bit at a time. They were jealous of Jesus' popularity. They were angered by the laws that Jesus, so to speak, broke, and the criticisms he made of them. They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah and they wanted him dead at all costs. Let me take the first one, the Sadducees. I've heard people say, Sad, you see." <laughs> so, so the Sadducees people, number one, they were uh, astute scholars of the Torah. Torah meaning the first five books of the, of the scriptures. From Genesis, the Torah they didn't believe anything else. Very strong adherence of Moses. Number two, they did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in the afterbirth. So when Jesus started coming, and of course, and of course for them, everything they did was tied around the temple. So you can imagine in John chapter 2 when Jesus went to the temple and emptied out these money changers and whipped them. Oh my gosh. It was the Sadducees, it was targeted. Because those guys used their position to exploit the poor. And of course, the Sadducees were very cozy with the culture of the day. They were in bed with the Roman government and all the other cultures of the day. So they had tremendous influence with government. So... You read in Mark chapter 12. Let, let, let's read it, just, just to give us an idea. Mark chapter 12, verse 18. So when they came to Jesus, <laughs> they, they wanted to entrap him. Mark chapter 12, verse 18. Look at the question. Mark 12, 18. Then some Sadducees who said there's no resurrection, so you see it, it's there, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up an offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying, he left no offspring. On and on and on and on. Verse 23. Therefore, in the resurrection, remember, they don't believe in resurrection. They don't. But they're asking this question because they want to trap you. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Eh, Jesus, I'm sure, I said, eh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken? Because you do not know the scriptures, not the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead, that they rise, they have not, have you not read in the book of Moses? Notice Jesus, notice notice the wisdom of this guy. Notice this Messiah, notice he's gonna, he's gonna make a case. Where does he go? Moses. Since you guys only believe in Moses, let me go to Moses. He knows who's standing before him. He didn't go to Paul, he didn't go to Nehemiah. He, he said, oh, oh, really? Let's go to Moses. What did Moses say? But concerning the dead that the rise, have you not read in the book of Moses? More specifically, in the burning bush passage. How God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God. He went back to the book that they really cherish. And let me just say this to to us this morning. Many of us may have loved ones that have gone ahead of us. They're in glory. They're in heaven. They are are no longer with us. And we wonder, wow, God, what's going to happen? This is a confirmation. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. Abraham is living. Isaac is living. Jacob is living. My parents are living. Your parents are living. Your loved ones are living. They just slept. They are living. They are living. Take heart. This is Jesus speaking. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, he hushed those guys up, man. I can just imagine him. You just barely just say, oh, okay, we are gentle now. They just <laughs> went ahead somewhere, but they hated him. So the Sadducees can easily be compared if we use our political landscape as the liberals in Israel. They were liberals. Cozy with the culture, don't believe the scriptures, don't believe the supernatural, don't believe in miracles. I'm sure if they were here today, they said we don't believe in conversion therapy. I'll leave that alone, I'll just just move on. They are the liberals of that day. Next, the Pharisees. Ha. The Pharisees were big wigs. <laughs> they were big wigs in the society. They were revered. Revered, man. I mean, maybe the word most reverend came from them. I don't know. <laughs> because that word Pharisee means separated. And they let you know it in a heartbeat. They were what you call the purists. They took literally the word of God for what it was. But as far as they were concerned, it was not just sufficient that God says this. They were, they now went back and did research and added oral tradition to, 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 to add to what God has said. So God gave one Lord, they added 20 more to it. That's the way they were. And so when Jesus came on the scene and began to really deal with some things that they were used They they, 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 they had uh, esteemed so highly, like the Sabbath, for instance. Jesus healed a person on the Sabbath day. What? They got angry. So let's just read one passage from them Matthew chapter 12, in verse 9. Who was responsible for Jesus' death? Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into the synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? See, they're asking these questions to enter him. Let, let, let Let me throw this in. There are two ways of questioning. I can ask a question, or I can question you. When I ask a question, I'm looking for information. But when I'm questioning you, I already presume something and I'm trying to just nail you. That's what the police department does when they're questioning a suspect. They already think the suspect has something to do with the crime. So the line of questioning are to entrap that person further to nail the person. They're not looking for information, they're looking to convict a criminal. So you be careful, no seriously, be careful. Be careful, when you're talking to people, when you want information, be sure to ask a question rather than questioning the individual. Huge, huge difference. Here, these guys, they're not asking a question. They are questioning Jesus. Is it lawful? They know the answer. They say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? The motivation, in, in fact, in fact, this is even better. Ask a question, you're looking for information. Questioning a person, there's another motivation. That's that's the deal. So here they were asking the question so they might accuse him. Then he said to them, my goodness, what a wisdom. What man is there among you Pharisees? I just added that. (laughs) (laughs) Who has one sheep and he falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it up? They'll go and get their animal if he falls on the Sabbath. But a human being who's sick, you better better don't touch, don't don't heal that person. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he stretched forth his hand to the man and healed him. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him. How they might destroy him. They were so upset. They said, man, this guy got to go. Because for you, for, you see, the Pharisees, they thrived on the ignorance of the people. They were revered. They were the final authority in any, anything religious. And so they, ha- they loved the high seats in the, in the synagogue. They just, just, just like the preeminent positions. They were sane. They were, they were just big. Yeah, thank you, the Chiefs. And sinners hated them. And they hated sinners because, remember, they are purists. So for Jesus to come around and sinners were coming around him, wow. Tax collectors coming around him. They said, man, no, 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 this guy's going to mess up. He's going to mess us up. We need to, we need to get, get rid of him. Yeah. So if the Sadducees were the liberals of the society, the Pharisees then are the conservatives of that society if we use the political landscape, hypocrites, we would champion abortion rights, no child must be aborted in this United States. But if you catch me at night as a black man driving, you can kill me, I'm open game. So what we are seeing in the USA had been a long, a long time, you had the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. They were there. But unlike the partisan politics in the U.S. now, as far as Jesus was concerned, they are consensus. It met both of their interests. Sadducees wanted him gone. The Pharisees wanted him gone. So they could come together in agreement. and say, "Ah, Let's kill this man. (laughs) So you have the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees, and then you have the scribes. The scribes Mainly were the scholars of that day. <laughs> <The professors. laughs> I like that. He said the professors, that's right. <laughs> they were the seminarians that helped the Pharisees draft the law. Say, so yeah, let's add this. Let's add that one. <laughs> and they were the ones they taught in the synagogue. They taught in the synagogue. So they had again. Very good reputation. They had, they had, they had uh, uh, class because they occupied a very important role. But they had a problem with Jesus. Let's read Matthew chapter 7. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. <laughs> and so it was when Jesus had entered the saints that the people were astonished. At his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Trouble in Israel. <laughs> this sounds like David and John uh, and, and Saul, King Saul. Saul has slain his thousand, David is ten thousand. Is the people the people Is see the problem? People cause he said, This man has authority. Mine, the scribes, they are not anointed. This guy's anointed. And the scribes could hear that, ah, this man has come to take our position, he has to die. One more scripture, Mark 14, verse 1. And then we're going to address some practical things, Mark 14, 1. After two days, it was Passover and the feast of unleavened bread, and the chief priests, and the scribes... Sought how they might take him by tichri and put him to death. Okay, so now we've seen the various groups of people that had interest in Jesus's death. What I want us to know, in spite of all of this, that it was all part of God's plan. Every detail of Calvary was orchestrated in the eternal councils of heaven. At Pentecost, Jesus said in Acts chapter. no, not Jesus, I'm sorry, Peter said in Acts two twenty three. you don't need to put it up there, I'll read it. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Later, Peter will write again in 1 Peter three eighteen. he says, For Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians five twenty one, God made him who had no sin to be sinful so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the injustice Jesus suffered is suffered for you and me. That's why he's a wonderful Savior. Wonderful Savior. Now, uh, I have some things in my notes. I'm, I'm not going to go there. Uh, I, I mentioned some notable Pharisees. You may see that on the notes on, on the website. Let me just go to, to the jugular. There's some notable Pharisees. We see Joseph of Arimathea. He was a Pharisee, but he was a believer. Nicodemus was a believer by night. Paul himself was a Pharisee. So, so I, I just want to make sure I give you full disclosure. All Pharisees were not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now... Let's go to Matthew, chapter 27, verse 45. Matthew 27, verse 45. We're about to, be, to start bringing this to a conclusion. Matthew 27, verse 45 and 46. Thank you. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This one verse has created a lot of controversies among Bible scholars. One school of thought said, That while Jesus hung on that cross and the sins of humanity was placed upon him, that God could not bear to look at sin. And therefore, in that moment of three hours, that God abandoned him on the cross. And that's why he was crying out, my God, my God, why has that forsaken me? One school of thought. I want to disagree with that school of thought. And the reason I disagree with it is, if God ever abandoned Jesus on the cross because of sin, then we're all in trouble, we're all in trouble. No, God never abandoned him, it's not possible. And I'm going to show it to you in Scripture in a minute. Don't just take my word. Let's look at the Scriptures. God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. In fact, please give me Romans chapter 8. Let me quickly read that now. Verses 38 and 39 in the Message Translation. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39 from the Message Translation. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love. Because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Oh, that must be at verse 37, because I... Something was missing there. Give me verse 37. Message is very funny. Go back there. Is that what it says? No, 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 no. There's more to it. But anyway, let's just leave it alone. There's another message, there's another portion of message transition that actually says not not even any sins listed in Scripture. Not even any sins listed in Scriptures can make God abandon you. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, definitely. Yeah. But anyway, the point I'm making is God did not abandon Jesus. In order to understand what happened here, let's go to uh, Psalms 22. Psalm 22, verse 1. Yeah, we need to get the correct version of these translations. So Jesus was not just saying what he said, Jesus was actually quoting. From David's experience, David is the one that said this in Psalm 22, verse 1. David said, Psalm 22, 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And the word, from the words of my groaning? So what was happening? Why did Jesus say this? Oh, God help us. Jesus said this, so you and I will will remember, we will know, he died as us and he rose as us. But not only that, that you will know that he entered our darkness. The darkness that you and I enter from time to time, yes. that seems to confuse us and confound us and just trouble us, Jesus wants you to know that He not only carried our sins and bore our griefs, He actually entered into that realm of our darkness so that we have an example. We have we have a model to know that He knows that this is do happen. Hallelujah. It was His identification with us. With all of us who have known betrayal, have you ever been betrayed? Abandonment—have you been abandoned? Humiliation—have you ever been humiliated? Dehumanization—have you been dehumanized? Injustice—have you ever felt injustice in your life? Collusion, lynching, rape—and goes on and on and on and on. Jesus, in going to the cross, identified with our humanity. As we watched him die, stripped, beaten, humiliated, his cry was our cry, and his death was our death. Hallelujah. In his blackest night, the true King of Israel, Jesus, our elder brother, and the first born from the dead, models for us how to navigate the agonies of this life. Let's go back to just Psalms 22. Psalm twenty-two. In verse three. But you are holy, and throned in the presence of Israel. Oh my goodness! What's David doing here? In first two verses, he cried and groaned. Oh my God! I cry in the daytime; you do not hear, and in night season, I'm, I'm not silent. But in verse three, it's like a sandwich: crying, the sandwich, and then deliverance. In verse three, it says, "But you are holy, and in the presence of Israel. In other words, I'm going to change my thinking. Yep. Yep. David says, You know what? I know I'm going through a dark time. I'm being betrayed, have been dehumanized. I have been, my God, downtrodden. People have abused me. They've rejected me. They've done all these things. You know what, God? I remember you are holy. Oh, my God. You are holy. And in your holiness, I know that you, are, you, you, you live in the presence of your people. So rather than focus on my mischief and my mystery, I'm going to focus on your holiness. I know that in due season, you will bring justice. You will bring deliverance. You will bring salvation. It begins to do that. What happens? Verse 4. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Hallelujah. So what is Jesus doing? He prays. He prays to a God who had proved he would not fail. Jesus was declaring the unending confidence in a God who may seem afar off in your time of trouble. And in his weakest hour, he leans on the faith of those who have gone before him. Just like David said here. Look at what David said again. Let's be our fathers trusted in you. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. In other words, in my time of trouble, in your time of trouble, rather than focus on the misery of the trouble, be encompassed round about by such a great cloud of witnesses, witnesses that have gone ahead of us, the Josephs who were betrayed, who were sold into slavery, who they think they have destroyed. And in time, Joseph arose and became the prime minister of Egypt. So no matter what's going on with you, remember, God is still on the throne and is on your side. So Jesus lets the ancients pray for him. So the question as I close is, what are you facing these days? An injury so severe that you just can't see see your way out of the darkness? Betrayal, abandonment, perhaps a person that says to you, I'm going to love you and cherish you until death do us part, they have left. False accusations, injustice that will not let you up or down. The point is, be comforted. Set your eyes upon God. The kingdom of this world is passing away, and the king of our souls has walked these paths ahead of us and has found strength in his arms. So here's the question for you as we close. In whose hands do you see your life? Yeah. Do you see yourself at the mercy of the fickle circumstances over which you have no control, even though all things are working for your good? Do you see yourself as a pawn of people who don't always have your best interest in mind? Seeing and placing your lives in God's hand is a matter of faith, not sight. It's a matter of faith, not sight. Jesus entrusted his whole life into the hands of his father. He said said to his father, into your hands I commit my my spirit. Even when men did their worst, he rested in his father's love. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Can any good thing come out of a bad circumstances? The answer is yes. 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 The answer is a resounding yes. Remember, God takes all your life experiences and weaves them as a tapestry. Nothing is wasted. You ask Paul about that in the book of Philippians. He said, the things that have happened to me has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. You may not see any good in it, but God sees it. And in time, it will manifest. First Peter 4.14, Peter tells us, I said, beloved, don't count it strange when you are faced with fiery trials. He said, do not kind of strange. He said, because, give it to me. First, let me make sure I quote quote it properly. First Peter chapter 14 through, no, chapter 4, verse, first Peter 4, 12 through 14. First Peter 12, yeah. First Peter 12, first Peter 4, wow. I'm, I'm trying to make up a new Bible. Verse 12 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, on their part is blasphemed, but on your part is glorified. Folks, I'm telling you, just just trust God. Now, I like what Peter said here, because he didn't just stop there in verse 15. It makes the clarity. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. In other words, there are two types of sufferings. The one that is self-inflicted because of the things I did to make it happen. On that one, you're on your own. Pray for God's grace to help you. And God's grace is available to help you even in that situation. But on the other hand, when you're minding your own business, like Jesus was minding his business, and people are coming against him, rejoice. Rejoice. Because God is going to vindicate you in a while. Last scripture, and I close. This is my last and final closing. First Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. First Peter 2, 21 to 23. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's a part in scripture. No matter what's going on with you, commit yourself to him who judges justly. Let God be the judge. Let God, don't allow yourself to be drawn into a situation that causes you to be anti-God. Do what Jesus did. He was led to the slaughter, yet he opened on his mouth. Let God vindicate you. And so, Father God, in Jesus' name, we want to thank you, Lord God, for this message this morning. You allow us to see the various groups and individuals who contributed to the, son, to the death of your son. And our takeaway is recognizing that things will happen to us and that those things should not be strange to us. And that in every situation that happens, you're already in control. You say, you will not allow us to be tempted above that which we're able to take. And with every temptation, you give us a way of escape. And so, God, I pray that our eyes are open, that we behold you, and we keep our eyes unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I thank you, Lord God, that your word will not fail. Your word will accomplish the purpose for which you're sending it. And therefore, we are the stronger as a result of it in the name of Jesus. Thank you for our time. We bless, we honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.